on Sagittarian Matters, Dr. Ebony Flowers is here to talk about hair, academia, comics, and more. Plus, Dr. Flowers' biggest fan, Linda Berry, jumps in the mix to sing her praises. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the My students are all wonderful to me, but there's one in particular, Ebony Flowers. I'm interviewing her later this week. Are you? Mm-hmm. Well, she's... Ugh. Where did you meet her? I met her uh, on the first day of the first class that I taught at the university. She was in it. Um, and uh, when I was artist-in-residence. And... Um, she, this was a class where I hadn't figured out class names yet. I knew that I didn't want people to go by their real names. Um, but, uh, so what I did was I had a deck of cards and when you came in, you chose a card and that was who you were. I can't remember her playing card. I can't remember what her playing card was. Um, but that's, that was your identity, two of clubs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she came into the class, um, no drawing hadn't drawn forever at all no drawing and I still have a lot of her very first drawings but she was just super willing um and so I got to and I got to work with her for six years really intensely and we went from um that she was getting her master's at that point um and she just took the classes that I taught and then she became my uh TA or PA and um, then she started to invent I started to watch her take the work that we were doing and transform it into um, a, a, and I knew that you could use this technique that I learned from Marilyn for autobiographical stuff and I knew you could use it for fiction she figured out how to use it for academic work mm. um and i was so fascinated by her techniques that we started co-teaching co we co we co-taught the drawbridge class mm. and at the same time she decided that she she started to draw more and more and she was so close to being somebody who had gone from not drawing to suddenly drawing being a big part of her practice that she had way more information than I had or anybody that I knew had because she was experiencing it and she was experiencing it consciously. Um, she was aware of this happening. Um, and she decided that she needed to include drawings in her dissertation. You should really look at her dissertation before you interview her. How um, do I look at it? You contact her and you, or else I have, I actually have it on a thumb drive. Oh, great. Yeah, I can, I can, I can, if you. I have my laptop here. Okay. That's what we'll do. We'll put that. I know exactly where it is. But you should look at it because, um, and she got a lot of pushback from her advisor. And there was this point where she was actually going to quit, um, which was so terrifying. Quit the comics element? No, quit school. Oh. Um, just give up. She changed advisors, thank God. And uh, she made history. This dissertation is astonishing. It's um, in comics form. It's not about comics. Uh, and then when she graduated, she taught 
my class, she taught comics one, making comics one, as a summer school program, and I took the class. So I was a student in her class. So I did the same thing that Marilyn was a student in mine. So I was her student. And uh, it was an amazing experience. One, to be a student. Mm, so lovely. You just show up right when class starts. You come in, you do what the teacher says. Then you leave right when class ends. You just walk right out. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to set up. You can wear whatever you want. You can be in any kind of mood. Um, it was so beautiful. Do your homework. Um, I also found out how hard that class was, which mm -hmm. was really good for me to see. Even though I have a rule that I never assign students homework that I don't do. I always do the homework that I assign them. I either have done it the year before, or if it's a new assignment, I do it with them. Because, or I do it the week before. Because I feel like it's so easy to assign work mm -hmm. and to have no idea what that work is about. So, um, I got to really experience uh, it from the other side. And I get these notes on the back. So, good work. Uh, I think I, well, my class name was Hot Stuff, The Little Devil. Good work, Hot Stuff. Try a different color palette next time. I'm like, who are you? It's like, oh, God, you're my teacher. Okay, I will try a different color palette. It was so amazing. And, uh, yeah, so she, she got her PhD and uh, was making comics on the side the whole time. And uh, I love Hot Comb. I think it's an amazing book. Dr. Ebony Flowers is a cartoonist and an ethnographer. She's the author of the book Hot Comb, a collection of haunting short stories about the Black experience that go far beyond hair and beauty into issues of race, class, gender, and family bonds. Dr. Flowers also holds a PhD in curriculum and instruction from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she wrote her dissertation mostly as a comic. I spoke with Dr. Flowers over two different Skype calls, which we have knitted together here. We talked about academia, drawing as thinking, her process, motherhood, and the politics of hair. Now, please enjoy my talk with Dr. Ebony Flowers. The primary takeaway from my research uh, was that drawing is more than representation. And so I was looking at how drawing was more than just um, a an illustration of a pre-existing thought that just need a picture uh, that just needed uh, needs a picture for clarification. And I was looking at how uh, drawing, the act of drawing can also be intertwined with thinking itself. So it's as a, I was looking at it as a way of thinking and, th and then also how uh, drawing is an extension of uh, body movement and uh, in creating social connections. Wow. And social bonds. You're blowing my mind a little bit with drawing as thinking. Typically, at least in academia, and I don't know how it is for artists um, or how it's taught in like an MFA program, but in uh, for most academic work, if there are any illustrations or a drawing component to the research, it's there to uh, make clarify or to clarify pre-existing text or to clarify 
say, for instance, uh, what a research participant said in an interview. It's not um, used as a way of thinking or a standalone tool that is equally as powerful as uh, the written word and speech. And so what I, part of what I was doing in my research and a lot of what Linda does you know, with all of her stuff, her research and her, her art and making comics is, and uh, also in her teaching, is uh, try to get people to see drawing, open up drawing and not uh, have it um, as such a definitive thing. So open it up to a lot of other possibilities of what it could be. And one of those things that it could be is uh, just a way of thinking. And so new ideas, new connections that a person makes uh, with uh, their their relationship to the world and to other people can emerge through the act of drawing. Wow, 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 wow. Um, is there anything else we should... And I'm sure like artists like kind of already know that, but um, for academia, it's it's still kind of a, a newish thing. And so when... The whole thing is like when you treat it as something more than representation, then how can it be used? What are the ways that uh, a researcher can use it in their in their work? The representation. Wow. Well, your dissertation was really fun to read, and your book. <laughs> really. <laughs> I th- wow, that made me cough. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was fun to read. I thought Thank it was fun to read. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, can I ask you really quick? So the the head the um, ah, what do you say that the title track from Hot Comb, your book, the story Hot Comb, has so many different details. And as somebody who's done the kind of writing exercises that I think it maybe stemmed from, I couldn't help but wonder. What was your inroad to this story? Because it takes a few turns. It takes a few twists. There's a lot of different, very specific details about different friends and neighborhoods and family and hair processes. What was your prompt that helped you come up with this story? I'm I'm pretty sure that that story came out through writing, um, doing one of uh, Linda's, like seven minutes of writing. And I'm, I'm sure that if it might've been a topic all onto itself, or it might've come up um, when I was talking about some other memory about, um, I don't know, hair or, or just being a, a, the new kid on the block. And then uh, when I was in her classes and just hanging out with um, people at the image lab I think I started drawing comics that were about hair and in doing hair and but not specifically about my first perm experience and then I decided um, I probably decided to to make an actual like a full length story about my first perm experience because um a lot of so i watch youtube videos too i should mention that and a lot of people like mention like uh growing their perm out and wearing their hair naturally and it's always this kind of big success story where at the end uh 
people learn to love their hair and they they just love their curls or or whatever and i have a more ambiguous memory about um, getting my first perm and then um all the different kinds of hairstyles i've had and then now i'm wearing my hair and it's a uh, natural state but it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm all about wearing my hair naturally all the time, and this will be how it is for the rest of my life. Um, and so I wanted to make a story that kind of was a little bit more ambiguous in, in, in terms of uh, 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 like self-acceptance um, and showing a little bit of like self-loathing, which I think is a, a very real emotion that people um, – have especially at that age when they're uh preteens and and teenagers yeah it's your hair is so wrapped up with your identity at that age and in particular in this story like hair signifying class and also race and also like what part of the neighborhood you're from and how cool or not cool you are how did you choose where to end this story um, well, it just had to end. <laughs> I think I was coming, getting to the point where I'd been working on, I think I worked on that story, like, for a year, like on and off for a year. And I was just like, this has to end. And, um, and I was trying to end it on a positive note, and I couldn't figure out how to do that without it feeling fake to me. So um, I just decided I'm going to leave it at to uh, what happened the very next uh, day, or not next day, but the the next school day. Um, and so it was probably a Monday I went back to school and probably got my hair done on my Saturday um, because it takes uh, so long, or it used to take so long, not anymore. I found someone who, who doesn't take all day to do my hair. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, very special. And... Yeah, so um yeah, so I decided just to end it on the like my my peers uh, initial reaction um at the bus stop. I think that was a really strong place to end it. Today's episode is brought to you by Elise Miller, Robert Daniel, Michelle Lemoyne, Stephanie Mackley. Jill Pruitt, Anthony Pinto, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Christy Herod, Jill Soloway, and Mary Pinson. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's speaking voice. So I started um, writing or started making some of my stories um, that became part of Hot Comb while I was doing my dissertation. So even though my dissertation was a comic, um, or even though my dissertation is a comic and I wrote it as that as a comic. Um, I still felt like I needed some sort of uh, outlet, creative outlet that uh, didn't have to abide by the same kind of rigor um, 
that doing a dissertation entails. And so I started to, um, I think the first one I made was the, the story hot comb. I started working on that, like, um, like in between the time, like whatever free time I had. So sometimes I would have like a few hours and I would work on it and then I wouldn't revisit that story for like a month or two and then come back to it. Sometimes it was, you know, it was, it happened uh, much uh, more frequently than that. But I think Hot Calm took me maybe a year to write because I, I was, wasn't working on it every day. What was your process like for, is this, I am assuming a lot of this is fiction and auto fiction. So blending stories, you know, with, with bits of fiction to flesh them out more. Is that accurate? Yeah. So some stories are entirely fiction and other ones are straight autobiographical. And then other ones are inspired by uh, my personal experiences or the experiences of my friends and family or stuff I read in the paper or one story, my little sister Lena is uh, also inspired by uh, my friend's research. So she uh, is a Title IX lawyer, and she was also getting her. Uh, she also has a PhD in uh, education policy, and she, her research was on uh, black women who who play collegiate sports. Uh, uh, where they are not like the dominant group. So like softball, swimming, gymnastics, those kind of things. And uh, she was looking at their experiences being on uh, those teams and how it impacted their performance on the field and also in the classroom. And one of the things that um, uh, was mentioned a few, a few times with the people she interviewed was this, this question about, their hair and what to do with their hair during um, sporting um, uh, competitions and how that kind of anxiety um, continued on out off the field and impacted their academics. So, yeah. What was your process like for like coming to these characters? Did you do, but just because I've been so deep in the universe of thinking about, um, story creation. So like whether or not you plan a story ahead of time or you just start drawing and see where it takes you, or if you visit these characters in a particular moment and setting, what was your process like? Uh, So it it varied depending on uh, what story I was working on, but usually they start with some of the exercises that I learned from uh, working with Linda or some of the things that we came up with together while we were at the image lab. So um, some of the characters came through with just straight drawing on index cards. So there's um, like exercises that involve like drawing for like a, a drawing a person uh, to a song. And so you draw them and then, yeah, so I just draw them to a song and sometimes I'll write about them afterwards or it, uh, some of the characters came from straight writing about them. So timed writing where um, I work off of like one of my memories and um, write about that. And then a character will emerge. Um, trying to think of. Uh, is that what your practice yeah. is like now? 
Yeah, it's a little, it's a little, uh, I can curse on here, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's a little, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of fucked up right now because I'm, I'm a new mom. <laughs> and so I was actually talking, uh, who was it? Oh yeah. So I was on this panel last week with, um, with the cartoonist, uh, Scott McCloud and Jing Yang. And, and Scott McCloud was the moderator. And the first question he asked us was about like work-life balance. And it's just all messed up for me right now. Um, so I used to have this time before I had my son, I had this, this thing where I would just, uh, do a bunch of exercises like early in the morning. I would wake up like at five or six and, and do like these like quick exercises just to kind of get my brain wet and to, you know, like I'm awake kind of thing. And, and then I would just work on uh, my actual story and then do whatever else I had to do for the day. Um, but I could work if I had nothing else to do, I could work on a comic like all day, like for hours and just take breaks for like eating and using the bathroom. Um, people actually made fun of me for that. Now I don't have that kind of time. And so um, I'm kind of rearranging and, and trying to figure out a way I can, I can continue telling stories without having much time to sit and just straight draw for hours at a time. And so now I see, so Linda has this like lanyard that she keeps around her neck with like pens off of it. And then like, she always has like paper somewhere like in her back pocket. And now I see why she doesn't have children, but she, she gets it. like, like, you know, I, I have these ideas that pop in my head or, you know, I, I have these moments that are very fleeting. So like two minutes, three minutes here and there when I can actually draw something and I don't have, but I don't have anything on me. So now I do make sure I have pen and paper always like physically on me um, just in case that like for whenever the, those moments come up and then I try to wake up uh, early in the morning, earlier in the morning. So like sometimes four in the morning yeah. to, to start working. I know it sounds bad, but like, this is where like playing sports helps because it was always like an early call for me mm-hmm. to, to play. So it's not that bad, but it, I definitely do need lots of coffee to, to, to get going. But um, so either that or like working for a couple hours when he goes to sleep and then working in between times. So um, I'm lucky that uh, my partner, uh, Ramey has, uh, like six months of paternity leave. So oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. It's unheard of. It's unheard of. It, it doesn't make any sense, but, um, but he was able to do that. And, and so that's been really helpful with me carving out like a couple hours here and there during the day to work on my stuff. But even still like breaking up the day like that, I have to get accustomed to because I'm, like I said before, I'm just used to like working for long hours on a story and so I can kind of dive deep and stay in that kind of state of mind. Um, and now I don't have that luxury. So, um, like right now I'm, I'm working on a story and, uh, I've been drawing a lot of trains and I've been doing a few pages with 
like train sequences because that's an important part but like so like yeah so i'll have like trains i have trains drawn on just like random bits of paper (laughs) just so i can with just whenever the idea pops in my head i just start drawing so i don't know If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. Do you have any top hair tips for listeners right now? Is there anything that right now you're like, oh my God, I'm this is my cornerstone. I'm so glad I do this thing or know this thing or use this product. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to say uh, thank you for saying that about uh, how I ended it because I, I feel like I'm notorious for ending stories on like a very low note. And I, and even when I try to put it at a high note, like end it wet, like with a lot of positivity, it still somehow seems and feels depressing. So I'm thank you for saying that uh, it was a strong ending. You're welcome. It it makes it resonate in a different way. Yeah, yeah, it does. Like uh, rereading that um, and and talking to other folks about that, I I get, I I think I get certain responses that I probably wouldn't get if it ended with... um, with the fuzzy bunnies and, and the the ice cream kind of thing. Yeah, it, it feels more on. It feels very honest. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So hair tips, I don't. It's like bad, and, and I feel like I keep talking about being a new mom, but it's just like total. It's like all consuming, and so my hair fell out. I had like postpartum shedding after three months and and so I just decided to cut my hair um, off and I've done that a number of times before Um, but I was thinking of I was trying to think of just a hairstyle to do that would be really easy but also look like I tried and so um and then that, that also, okay, so it made me, so I wanted a haircut that, you know, I wake up and I look, it looks like I tried, even though I haven't. And one where I needed to go uh, and see my barber every, like, couple of weeks to keep it, like, in shape, just so I can, like, escape <laughs> motherhood for an hour. <laughs> that's that's a hot tip. Um, yeah, so if you get a short haircut uh, with line work, where you know, uh, you know the edges are, your barber fixes up the edges. It it forces you to go. I I would I wish I could go more often, but I at least go. Um, I try to go every other week. Um, sometimes it ends up being every three weeks, but I still have uh, an excuse to leave um, to get my hair done. So any advice I have, I would say just wear your hair however you want to. Um, And I know that's hard and not practical for people who have certain jobs, who have, um, who may be part of an historically marginalized group and feel pressure to, um, to have their hair in a certain way or not to have it in a particular way. There might be, 
certain uh, rules that they have to abide by. I know that I don't know about how the military is now, but I know that before there were rules against like having braids and maybe dreadlocks. And I think that might have changed. But um, so I, I do understand some of the difficulty in actually like having your hair however you want to. But I, I say that because I've gotten a couple of people, a few people who they've read Hot Comb and they assume that it's this uh, uh, this book about uh, advocating for for black women to wear their hair in its natural state. And it's not that way. It's It's not a book that advocates for that. It's a book that advocates for having your hair however you want to um, and not in, in, in hope. And it's also like hopeful um, that one day perhaps black women's hair isn't politicized or criminalized so that we can actually just do whatever we want to our hair without feeling like it's speaking to this bigger narrative. I don't know if that will ever happen, but um, I don't know. I'm at some point soon. Once I have some time, I'm going to get my stylist to, to make a wig for me. I've been talking about getting a wig done ever since I graduated. Um, I finished grad school because it's one of the luxuries um, that I just want to indulge in um, now and. I don't know, I've just had lots of different hairstyles. I've worn wigs before, I've had braids in, I've had cornrows, I've had my hair straightened, texturized. Have you ever had I've a had weave? Lots of different hairstyles. No, I never had a weave. I was always um I was always afraid of how much hair would fall out mm. if it wasn't sewn in properly or done properly. And so I've seen a lot of people with like just really jacked up edges from a bad weave. Mm. I've also seen that with braids too, but braids, you can kind of work around it um, depending on who the, the stylist is and just asking them not to, to um, put extensions um, on the edges. Mm-hmm. I have to say it, it saved so. me a lot of grief when one of my friends revealed how many people had like a fake ponytail or a wig. People whose hair I looked at. Oh, I've had fake pony, ponytails before. Oh, I love I love a fake <laughs> oh, ponytail. I don't count that as. <laughs> huh? I said I love I love just like a clip in hair piece. Yeah, I love a good hair piece. So you can like swing it around. Yeah, it's and, fun. And then you get home and it's done, and you didn't have to do a lot of other stuff to your hair. Um. I, my last question for you is from producer Chris, who are your favorite cartoonists of color or artists that inspire you? Yeah, so um, so first off, uh, before I give my uh, the some names, there is a cartoonist of color da- database. Yes. And I think the, the website is just cartoonistofcolor.com and there's a ton of people in there and you can just look, look them up and look up their, their work. And it's a, a great resource. Um, there's, so 
Ezra Daniels um, and Ben Passmore has a book. They have a book called um, Bottom Feeders, and it was recently one of, I think it was, yeah, in the Washington Post, it was listed as one of the best graphic novels for um, 2019. And then also Ezra um, has a another book called upgrade soul which he has it as an actual like um hard copy and then he has a an app version of the book which uh also has i think the music was specifically composed for the app and for the story too um and so i've downloaded the app and it's it's really fun to read it that way too um and so I would encourage people to check that out. And then there's Teresa Wong has a book called Dear Scarlet, which is about her um, battle. I don't know if battle is the right word, but she had postpartum um, depression. And it, it, it's, a, it's a story about um, that. And it's written to her daughter. Um, and that's really good. Uh and then there's uh, Bianca Shunice, and she has a lot. She just has a ton of stuff out there. And if you um, Google her, and her last name is um, X-U-N-I-S-E, uh, she, she does a lot of commentary in comics around um, race and um, identity. Uh, Whit Taylor does a lot of stuff um, for the nib. And she doesn't um, always address like topics of like of race, um, uh, but she also does stuff about uh, gender and then uh, what do you call it? Creative um, creative blocks. Oh yeah. Um, is that the word? Is that the phrasing for it? When you just feel like the last thing you want to do is pick up a pencil and draw. It's yeah. really creative block, right? Yeah, like writer's yeah. block. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then for academic, oh, and then there's also, I met this guy um, at the Small Press Expo this this past uh, year. His name is Cajun, and his website is Lunchtime Comics, and he does comics about being ambiguously ethnic, which I knew, anyway... It's funny, but it, anyway, I, I when I saw him, I was just like, okay, I can see how people would have no idea what you actually are, but um, it was obvious to me. But his his comics are really funny. Um, and for academic comics, there's um, Liz Kozik, uh, K O Z I K. She's actually not a cartoonist of color. She's gay, so she is of the historically marginalized people's category. But um, she does a lot of work in um, ecology and making comics about um, the history of ecology. And then there's also Jay Gardner, G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R, and she's a cancer biologist who makes comics about... um, her research, and she also draws portraits of um, of scientists of color. Wow! And she happens to be black too. Yeah. Cool. Well, Doctor Ebony Flowers, thank you for joining us to tell us about all this stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah.
Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.